1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in.
2: Thank you, Carl and Leslie. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan. And today for Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the resurgence of that tech trade, that sector hitting a new record intraday high. We'll debate it with the committee. So joining me for the hour is Liz Young, Josh Brown. Gary Firestone and Bill Baruch. Let's get started with the chips. They're leading the market higher following Taiwan Semi's better than expected profit and revenues results. You know, Bill, these are some of your largest positions and these are names we focused on a lot, but there's so much happening in this space. There's so much change and a lot of nuance. So how are you playing the space? Educate investors that might be new to understanding what's happening in the chip space, maybe particularly with AI.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think they are our largest positions. Um, I, everybody's looking for rotation. We haven't been you know, ready for that yet. I think there's going to be a, a real good stretch here. Mm-hmm. But what we've really seen is a, is a uh, GPUs. They're bringing the GPUs to the consumer recently. That's another narrative. We're seeing gaming really start to take off. Another part to look at is, is the hyperscalers like um, Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet. They're, they're actually monetizing AI, which actually means that they're going to demand more GPUs, more monetization. more more money coming to the AMD and the NVIDIA. Uh, And then when that happens, the revenues, they're going to meet these expectations, maybe probably exceed these expectations, which brings their multiple down. So these stocks are not, NVIDIA especially, is not an expensive stock right now.
2: And I think we should point out, Taiwan Semi uh, reported today, the CEO noting he expects 2024 to be a healthy growth year. And he calls out robust AI related demand, but also strong demand for the five nanometer technologies and the three nanometer technologies. Josh, you don't own Taiwan Semi, but you are also looking at AMD and NVIDIA, which you own, and Bill was calling those out. What do you make from what Taiwan Semi had to say today with your current positions?
4: Look, Taiwan Semi is, I think, one of the five most important companies in the world strategically like you you can name almost any other company and say if that company shut down for 30 days it might be a little uncomfortable for some of their employees but it probably wouldn't be the end of the world coke drinkers can switch to pepsi etc Taiwan semi stops for one day the entire global situation would be in serious trouble that's how important this company is so when they speak it's very important that we all listen there are not a lot of international stocks that are that important to u.s investors Taiwan Semi is very unique in that respect. They make chips for Apple, for Qualcomm, for AMD, for Nvidia. They are highly involved in all of the most important growth stories in the S&P 500. I say all that to make it very clear that when they tell you CapEx should be $28 to $32 uh, $2 billion for this year, um, that's really important. Their spending has really important read-throughs to all these other names. That's why I think you see the sector rallying. It's important to point out, however, these stocks have already been huge winners. They're becoming very popular. There is still a cycle. There's still cyclical companies, and we might be getting a little bit carried away. I just want to share two stats with you that I think are important. 88% of the names in the SMH ETF are above their 200-day moving average. This has been above average for 29 straight trading days going back to December 5th. This is a historic level of the amount of semiconductor stocks that are rallying all at the same time. Additionally, 16% of these SMH names are trading with an RSI above 70. Mm. 70 would be overbought. So almost a fifth of the index are overbought stocks. What that tells me, if you're not an NVIDIA, an AMD, uh, and you're looking for your entry point, Today might not be the best. I think you're going to get a shakeout. I think you will get better opportunities in these stocks. You might have to wait through the end of earnings season to get it, but I think it's worth waiting given how extended so many of these charts are, Courtney.
2: I want to pull back on on the beginning of your comments with Taiwan Semi being so important globally. Why, then, is that a name you don't own? Because it's
4: overbought? Because it's
2: so stretched?
4: Well, something could be important, but not necessarily be where I want my investment dollars. It's important strategically. Their comments matter. Their guidance sets the tone. And the way that they think about the roadmap is how all of the other companies in the ecosystem, software included, have to think about the roadmap. So that's why they're important. Not necessarily important as a a component in a portfolio. Although, By the way, I think I have... Uh, I think I have exposure via international ETFs, so I'm not like totally out. Sure, no, that,
2: that makes sense. And, it, and really good points, too, about the power here. I mean, Wells Fargo, Chris Harvey really pointing out this this one stat. As of January 15th, NVIDIA accounted for 100% of the XPX's year-to-date advance. I know we're only in January, but that's pretty powerful. I mean, Kerry, is is the reason that you're not deep into the chip space because
5: of the valuations? Well, I wish we owned them right now, for sure, and last year. But the truth is, you can only own so many names in a portfolio. We have 33 names, and we have a lot of mega cap names, a lot of technology stocks that have been great. The semis are cyclical, and we have been looking for an opportunity to buy them when they have cracked, when they come down. And there's a point, and I agree with, with Josh, that we'll be able to... Add to create a position where we don't have one in one of these names and we'll feel better about it than if we buy it here and there's a whatever percent 50% chance that we might be able to buy it cheaper later but what I think this news says that that's critically important is that they are seeing demand and they are not seeing any sign of a recession I mean this is a cyclical industry we know that AI is a big part of it but it's not just AI the world needs chips for everything you know whether it's cars Whether it's tractors, whether it's all kinds of gaming devices, television sets, consumer products, non consumer products, and if they are saying that we expect a very good year, that says something positive about the economy globally, not just US. Maybe they're seeing something from China. I mean, maybe they're seeing some strength that the people talk about recession would be good to take a strong look at and say, gosh, you know, maybe with strong employment, semiconductors, et cetera, we've got a market situation and fundamentals that can sustain uh, higher levels. Very
2: good. Very good points. I remember, of course, when we learned how important chips were to us when there was that chip shortage and then we realized how many things really they, they were a part of. I mean, Liz, it's so funny because this tech trade obviously leading the way again today. We're talking about semis as a part of it, but I thought we were supposed to be moving on from tech. I thought, you know, we were supposed to be looking at other things and expanding. It's like that quote
6: from Brokeback Mountain, I, I can't quit you. I wish oh, yeah. I knew how to quit you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, this is a familiar pattern that we've seen in markets over the last year easy. where <laughs> no, I know you feel that way. Going nuts over
5: here. Everybody calm
6: down. Very serious stuff to talk about. <laughs> so this is a familiar pattern that we've seen in markets over the last year where tech continues to be the thing that comes off the mat when we're worried about other stuff. If you look at some of the broad indices, though, today, obviously, the Nasdaq is up pretty strongly and you've got some of these large cap tech names again leading the pack. But look at small cap down today. You've got the Dow flattish to down. These are, not cyclical, these are not cyclical signals, right, on a broad-based level. So I think right now we're just dealing with a situation where you've got some good news, and that's okay. The market literally has been searching for good news, a reason to go higher or a reason to move in one direction or another. We've gotten some good news on a couple different names. That's okay, and it's okay for that to drive momentum for a day. I still don't think that big tech is going to be the leader like it was last year. Extremes don't tend to repeat themselves, and that bifurcation that we have and the spread between the best performing sectors and the worst performing sectors was huge. I don't think that's going to repeat, but that doesn't mean that big tech is going to be a loser this year.
2: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see a scenario in which it would be a loser. I agree with that. That brings us really all together to our call of the day. The biggest tech of all the tech, Apple having its best day since May after an upgrade to buy at Bank of America. Josh Carey, Bill, you all own this. We've seen, what, three downgrades since the beginning of the year. This is an upgrade. Bill, I'll start with you. What do you make of this move?
3: Yeah, Apple. I mean, it's been the unloved one to start the year, and when things fall unloved, I mean, that's when I like them. I mean, that's that's what I think can really reinvigorate things here. You have Taiwan Semiconductor bringing the the tailwind to Apple with talking about a smartphone cycle better than better than expected. You had Bank of America with their in their upgrade talking about the iPhone cycle being better than expected. But really, I think one thing we've been talking about is services and how services are going to become a bigger piece and a bigger piece of that pie. And, and that was really the, the The core of, of, I think, Bank of America's note here is how services are going to uh, really drive their growth. I I mean, the ecosystem that Apple's built is just almost unmatched anywhere else. Um, I mean, they're calling for 225 target. And that's the interesting thing here. When you're looking at Apple can still break out. NVIDIA, you know, go back to Josh's 70 RSI. Things can stay overbought for a little while, but but NVIDIA's breaking out. Apple will now break out. When these things break out and these things are trending, they're going to drive the market. And I think Apple is going to really potentially be, you know, you, you have one thing take a lead, and the next thing take the lead. You have chips leading right now. If Apple gets out above 200, it's then going to lead. It is then going to break out. AMD's breaking out right now. So these are the leaders in there, and I'm not saying ch- everybody needs to start chasing everything. Apple's probably the one right now where there's more upside, given that it hasn't broken out. But things can stay overbought for a while and, and continue to run here for a bit, and that's what we expect.
2: For those that haven't seen the note, you know, one of the points you're that you're saying, higher growth in services as install base gets better monetized. And then also, I thought that this was really interesting about the belief that there's a stronger multi-year iPhone upgrade cycle driven by the need for the latest hardware to enable generative AI features to be introduced in 24 and 25. And Carrie, you've been
5: sort of nodding your head as Bill was talking, so jump on in. Uh, I think everything Bill said makes sense about the expansion of their, um, their software, their services, why the market is enthused about uh, anything that points to the iPhone growing. Because, you know, face it, um, it, it's a consumer product, it's an expensive one, it is ubiquitous, it is dominant. And when things are good for Apple, they tend to be good for many uh, in the Mm, ecosphere. We own it. We don't own it anything close to the weight. You know, if you want to be overweight Apple, you're owning an 8% position in your portfolio. Very few people do. We're about half weighted. Uh, That's still a large percent of a portfolio that has 30-ish names, but it's good for the other names like Google. It's good for Meta. It's good for Amazon. Just the fact that things seem to be more positive than what the market had expected. Uh, It does not, however, make Apple a blowout name where it's gonna, you know, it's breaking out. I mean, it hasn't really broken over its 200-day moving average. It might be breaking out, Uh, we'll see what happens, but it's definitely better than the way people were feeling two weeks ago. Josh, do you think that it can hit
2: 225 from about 208 where it was before this uh, upgrade came out? I think it can.
4: I just don't think it has to happen this year in order for long-term investors to be satisfied. We've probably just gotten two years worth of stock performance out of this thing in like the last nine months. Mm. So from my perspective, it actually would make more sense to see this stock spend some time consolidating below 200. Now that being said, there's two wild cards here, and I don't think either one of them have anything to do with the iPhone. Fundamentally the iPhone's the most important thing they do. But from a multiple slash sentiment standpoint, if you ask me, okay, we'll get some earnings growth this year. maybe the end the negative revisions is at hand, but how is it gonna sustain 28 times earnings? Well, two things. The first, they haven't said a word about AI. They're alone amongst the the Mag7 probably. They're the only name that hasn't gotten any benefit whatsoever in the valuation because of anything AI related. That could change on a dime. My friend Dan Ives is talking about the possibility of a separate AI app store being announced at some point this summer. I have no idea if that's going to happen. I'm just saying if it does, that's probably not in the stock. The second thing, and I think this is worth uh, exploring a little bit further later on, is they're gonna come out with this Vision Pro, whether you think it's a mass market product or not. Developers are gonna buy these things because developers understand that at a certain point, they will nail the hardware, they will make this a must-have product, and every developer, every app, they're gonna need to have some version that's included in the device. So I think that that's part of the story where people are going to laugh at it when it comes out. They're going to mock the $3,500. They're going to laugh at the form factor and how annoying it is to get fitted for it. That cycle will play out, and then you'll see the articles start to turn. Somebody will say, oh, wait, actually, it turns out, this is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to be in the stock for this. That's all I'm going to tell you.
2: We all laughed at the AirPods initially, I think, and now we all wear them, right? Now it does feel kind of cool. Liz, I mean, obviously, Apple is so important to the broader tech ecosystem. And so when you you get an upgrade after three downgrades, what's the read through for the rest of tech?
6: Well, I mean, Apple is one of those companies that's a bellwether just for sentiment in general, and obviously very tied to the consumer and consumer spending and what the consumer is willing to do as far as their hardware goes. I think what's going to happen this year is you're going to see a lot of separation among those big cap names. They're not all going to act the same, particularly in an environment where yields are volatile and they really have to come through with the fundamentals. So I think, to to Josh's point, look, these are long-term holdings. You can't believe in the American economy without believing in technology, particularly the companies that have already proved to be winners in the space. So I think you can hold them, but I would lower your expectations, especially based on valuations for a lot of these right now. Valuations would suggest that forward returns are going to be muted in the, the trades that are crowded. So lower your expectations in the near term and start to think about where you might be able to capitalize on tech in smaller cap names in other places around those industries. Wouldn't it be nice if we saw a little
2: bit of broadening out, have a little bit more players on the field? If it could stick around. I, exactly, yes. exactly. Let's pivot to the broader mark right here. Treasury yields are higher. The 10-year is at its highest level of the year. Yeah, I know, we're only in mid-January. And March rate probabilities do continue. Continue to come down. The next Fed meeting is two weeks away. Bill, what are your expectations for what the Fed will do? It looks like potentially moving at least away a little bit from the, the sure, more surety or more certainty of those rate cuts.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think fourth quarter, if we go up there in the 10 year, is going to be a ceiling. I, it's, unless something drastically changes, I think as we move into March, it's going to be a, somewhat of a coin flip. However, the Fed is talking off of it. i am mean, seeing comments right now, I think, from Fed President Bostic saying there's no, no rate cuts uh, until the third quarter. So, I, I, I mean, the markets are reacting. I, I, I mean, we're going to continue to play this game, but the Fed's going to continue to push it back. And, and there's probabilities, yeah, they probably got ahead of themselves with seven rate cuts as coming coming through December into January. But as we evolve, um, I, I do think the market is going to stay on the table. The question is going to be jobs. And the jobless claims print today, 187000 I think that's going to be a low print for, for weeks or months to come. I think that that there, some of the revisions and whatnot takes place around the uh, turn of the year. Not surprised that December's jo- non-farm payroll report was strong. Uh, not surprised that we're seeing some jobless claims stay pretty low right now. I expect a lot of that to change in the coming weeks. We're seeing deterioration in New York ma- uh, manufacturing, Philly Fed manufacturing. Um, so I-, I think the economy, I don't expect a recession. I think we'll just we'll just see some slower growth, but steady, slower growth.
2: Okay, fair enough. I, I want to actually switch gears, if we can, to Philip Bo. He's got a news alert for us on Spirit Airlines. Phil, what's going on?
1: Uh, The Wall Street Journal uh, is reporting that Spirit Airlines is considering its financial options. They are not saying restructuring, they are not mentioning bankruptcy, but that has been the concern that has been floating around among investors about whether or not Spirit Airlines, now that the JetBlue merger has been blocked, has the financial wherewithal in order to continue, or does it have to restructure in bankruptcy Uh, through Chapter 11? Helene Becker at Cowen mentioned that possibility immediately after the proposed merger was blocked. She also said, Look, they could ultimately go from Chapter 11 down to Chapter 7 liquidation. They don't have a whole lot of assets that they can turn around and sell or leverage in certain fashions because their unencumbered aircraft uh, were then uh, put part of a lease buyback, uh, raised about 400 million dollars. Uh, recently, in the last couple of uh, months. So what you're looking at right now is more pressure on Spirit Airlines, down another 23%. And again, the Wall Street Journal reporting that the uh, company is looking at its financial options. Guys, I'll send it back to you.
2: Well, Phil, thank you very much. It's a, a big move, important move, and a name that continues to make headlines. carry. what do you make of something like this? Not entirely surprising, I guess, that they're looking at options, right? What are they going to do?
5: Well, they don't have many options, yeah. and I don't know what this is worth. The airline business is really tricky. I followed airlines years ago, and it, it they're usually terrible stocks the over spirit the Spirit
4: Airlines term. fly people, or is it mostly livestock? A little of not both. Sure. You familiar. could be sitting next to a cow. Why would JetBlue want anything to do with this business? Low, a worse, Low cost. A worse business than JetBlue? You wouldn't even Arguably. think that's possible, and then they found one, and they want to buy it? Yeah, I don't know. It,
5: it didn't make any sense. They realized it. A little late for you know, the whole deal crashing. I don't know. It just it shows bad management. It shows bad karma.
2: Yeah, the airlines definitely seem to be a trade a trade that's that's a little tough. I want to go back to sort of the conversation we were having there before. Um, Josh, obviously, two weeks away from the FOMC meeting. Uh, Bill was talking about the jobless claims. What about those retail sales numbers coming in pretty strong? If you're the Fed, how do you how do you read that? I don't see any economic slowdown when you're talking about the consumer.
4: Look, there is this really perverse thing going on where actually higher rates drive more consumer spending. It makes no sense until you understand a lot of the spending taking place is is, uh, people in the top half of the income and wealth distribution. That's what's driving all the travel, that's what's driving all the the, uh, luxury uh, goods, etc. Why are these people spending more after 525 basis points worth of rate hikes? Well, there's a wealth effect. And the wealth effect is not just in the value of their house, which by the way, those have stopped going down six months ago. And the wealth effect is not just the value of a 401k, which by the way, all time record highs for most normal people with a normal allocation, but it's also in how much cash your cash is throwing off. So if you have six figures in a bank account, it was yielding nothing two years ago, and now it's yielding four 5%, at least the portion that you moved into a higher um, uh, into a higher yielding vehicle, You feel even wealthier than ever. Hence, let's fly the whole family to Aruba. Go to Aruba right now. It's an animal house. My friends were there last week. They were talking about knife fights over lounge chairs. That's what's going on with consumer spending. The Fed has actually exacerbated consumer spending amongst people who have no mortgage and a lot of cash. And that's why you're seeing the numbers that you're seeing. I don't know what to do about it. I'm just telling you it's a very real phenomenon. consequence of of all of a sudden giving people that level of, of income interest.
5: I, I just want to say that the Fed, through the whole inflation scenario with rates and made a point of saying, you know, inflation, uh, you know, it, it's very, very sticky. we got to be careful. We're data driven. Right now, the messaging, again, is the same. Don't get so excited about rates coming down, even if they're going to r- lower the rates in May. They're going to keep messaging that way because they don't want people to think think the rates are coming down fast. Loading rates might be the only thing that, that you could stops, do to yeah. stop the consumer I don't know. That would be backwards. <laughs> I, I would yeah. like to,
2: start, to stop yeah. the knife fights over yeah. the yeah. beach yeah, here. You so so whatever not we, we get. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Not yeah. of not, not, not that one happy I want to be
6: front and center. So, okay, the FOMC meeting that we get in January, I think people are going to be listening, obviously, for more confirmation that he actually pivoted in December. I'm not convinced that they did pivot in December. I think that there continues to be a narrative around, we will hike again if we have to. We still don't want to make the same mistakes that we did in the 70s. And I think that they are much more comfortable staying higher for too long than they would be with cutting too soon. Mm-hmm. So I don't think a March cut is necessary. Some comments from Waller this week were that, what's the difference another six weeks? I agree with him. I don't think it really matters to wait another six weeks and start cutting in May instead. So I, I think they still are going to try to avoid those mistakes. The risk that we would run, and this goes to Josh's point a little bit more nuanced, but if it's the upper echelon of incomes that's spending right now while rates are rising, if we start cutting rates too soon, guess who's going to start spending? The lower echelon of income. And then you've got everybody spending. You run the risk of overheating or re-peaking in inflation and we have a problem. So I think that that's what they're trying to avoid. You don't want to drive more enthusiasm than already started to come into the market starting in October and go the other direction.
2: Got it. Well, let's get to some committee moves here. Bill, you bought Lidos this morning. I'm not mm. super familiar with this name. Talk to me about it.
3: Yeah, so this is a uh, it's an information technology company that's in the defense space. So they're defense software, but also in, in sort of civil software. If you go through the uh, the airport, you see TSA okay. security and, and LIDOS. is is the one that has the, that you walk through. Exactly. (laughs) Before
2: you go on a Spirit Airlines Yes, yes.
3: So, but they're they're really all over the place. I think this is a a great place to be, and this is sort of a starter position for us. It it elevated, sort of just moved higher through the end of last year. They had some solid earnings reports, some solid guidance coming into this year. So I'm upbeat to see what comes next. What I would like to do is build into this position, see more of a technical breakout. We had nothing in the defense space, you know, which Lidos is, um, even though they're information technology. We cut Raytheon last year after a little bit of a bounce deck hat bounce and wanted to kind of get into that space and find where things can evolve and we're going to see ongoing demand on the software side. It's not a total cybersecurity, but it but you're going to get some of that within there.
2: And then, what about Schlumberger? Why are you out of that?
3: Well, Schlumberger, we've seen U.S. production hit record highs, and Schlumberger has done nothing. Now, they really lean on sort of sort of international production and offshore production, and the spending that's going to go into that and, and to create more production. Um, now, again, U.S. production all-time highs, OPEC holding back uh, international production a bit. Schlumberger, as U.S. production has made new highs, has done absolutely nothing. They have earnings report coming up Friday. I don't want to be in that stock for the earnings report. I'm a little nervous for that. Um, and so, I'm just kind of waiting and see there.
2: And you United
3: Rentals? United Rentals. I mean, I I think that's a stock that's just done absolutely well over years to come. I mean, will do well for years to come and has done well in the past. Um, Now, there is the the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, where there's there's infrastructure spending that has not made it out yet. I think 2024 is going to be a great time to see some of that make its way through. We own Caterpillar. This is another stock that, that will help us couple with that.
2: All right. Well, straight ahead. Tryon's Nelson Pelt speaks out. What he told CNBC earlier on the Disney proxy battle. Didn't mention any words. Halftime is back in two minutes.
1: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
2: The proxy fight between activist investor Nelson Peltz and Disney is heating up. Here's what he had to say on Squawk on the Street this morning.
0: This company is just not being run properly the board oversight is is awful. Uh, it really is. Uh, the park, certain as I said, certain rides were great. But you can see it's getting a bit long in the tooth. They need more capital invested. They need more capital invested now because the competition is getting keener.
2: Bill, you sold Disney last year. Is there a point at which you would get back in when you think that they're turning something around enough to juice up the stock price?
3: Yeah. I- Last year, first quarter had, had that uh, Nelson Peltz kind of every okay. He's doing something activist here. Bob Iger is, is stepped in, and, and you're going to start to see this uh, this the, everything, the vision come to fruition. I got a little excited about it. We were in it for that move um, out of out of the first quarter, but when that thing just sort of petered out, and and it started making new lows I, okay. I won't give myself all the credit. Maybe I sold it a little a little higher than where it is right now, but I'm mean, a little lower than where it is right now. But um, you know, I, I don't see a reason to get in there until something really changes. I, I mean, I'm just really disappointed. I mean, they lost all the Indian subscribers, uh, and then they continue to get worse there. Um, there's, there's no real direction. I mean, I haven't really even heard much from Bob Iger recently. It's not even on my radar right now, so mm-hmm. I just kind of stayed away.
2: Carrie, if, if they're looking to do cost cuts, but streaming was supposed to be this growth engine for them, I mean... How can they do both at the same time? Do, do they have to pick? Are they out of the streaming wars as a yeah. true competitor?
5: No, they are in the streaming wars, and they're in a lot of wars. And unfortunately, since Iger came in, and Iger was a master uh, during the years that he built the company into this behemoth, and it was all of the best of media and entertainment. Unfortunately, the media and entertainment world has changed so much that that common group of companies no longer work together, and he is having difficulties selling any of these pieces at the prices he thinks they're worth. I mean, they still have ESPN. They still have ABC. They have so many parts of a business that don't work together the way they were supposed to that, you know, yes, you can cut some people and you can cut parts of the streaming universe from Disney Plus, but they still own Disney, and Disney Plus was great for kids and they should keep that, but do they want to compete with Netflix? No. What are they going to do about the broadcasting business? What are they going to do with ESPN? Vienna. Everyone has these questions, and they're not answering. Yeah, and speaking of the streaming wars, Netflix getting a target raise
2: at UBS and Piper Sandler. Josh, you've been watching Netflix. Is this just still winner-takes-all when you're talking about streaming when it comes to Netflix?
4: I don't think it's winner-takes-all, but there are too many players. Netflix won already. If you, if you ask, like, how did the, who won the streaming wars, they are over. Netflix won. It's the only profitable streaming service, period. Not only profitable, but still growing, <laughs> largest and still growing. Um, Disney is more than just streaming. So it's a really tough comparison. Do you Like, Is the suggestion, right. we want Netflix-like um, uh, growth and margins. Okay, so stop doing everything else Disney does. I don't think that's what it is. So nobody's really saying that. So it's, it's, it's a little bit apples and oranges. If you just, on a standalone basis, want to say Disney's media business, it's Disney Plus, maybe the, the box office stuff, maybe ABC, ESPN, let's comp that to Netflix. Netflix looks, uh, smaller but maybe more attractive right now um disney still has levers to pull the bigger issues here i think are strategic and not not all execution we don't know what they're going to do with uh abc we don't know what they're going to do with espn those aren't small questions that's a really really big deal and every day they don't do anything those properties are worth less mm-hmm. every day and if it goes on another year, ESPN will find itself competing with Amazon, Apple, and companies that literally have a money printer in their basement for the rights to the most important things, NBA, NFL. So that's the problem there. Until they resolve that, I really don't think it matters you know how many billions of dollars they spend on, on TV shows. They really have to get the strategy part right. Personally, I trust Iger. Uh, And it would be nice if we heard more from Nelson Peltz on what the actual strategy is other than just give me a board seat. So I think Disney kind of has a point point there. It's like, look, we took 30 meetings with you. What do you want us to do? What's the right answer? Until shareholders know what that right answer is from the activists, I still feel like Iger deserves uh, the, the trust of shareholders. So uh, that's that's where I am. Not even a shareholder, at least not right now. Okay. But that's what I think it boils down to.
2: Yeah, maybe it's a help us, help you situation. Netflix does report earnings next Tuesday on the 23rd. Let's move over and get some headlines from Savannah Hanel. Hi, Sylvana.
7: Hey, Courtney. The
2: House Homeland Security
7: The committee will vote on an impeachment resolution for Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on January 31st over his handling of border crossings. The White House has called the effort unconstitutional and labeled it as extreme politics. In Northern Ireland today, tens of thousands of public workers walked off the job to protest the lack of pay increases stemming from political deadlock. The Democratic Unionist Party has refused to share power with Irish Nationalists Sin Fein, which has prevented the government from functioning for nearly two years. And a billionaire couple is donating $100 million dollars to Atlanta's Spelman College. In a statement, the college said that it is the largest ever single donation to a historically black college or university. The donation comes from Rhonda Stryker and her husband, William Johnston. Spelman says it will
2: use most of the donation for scholarships. Courtney, back to you. Thank you very much, Silvana. Well, coming up, the PayPal trade shares dropping 20% in the year. As competition in the space ramps up, we're following the money and how to play it. That's coming up next on the Halftime Report. We'll be right back.
0: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftimereport and get started.
2: Welcome back to Halftime. Investors are falling out of love with PayPal as the company fights off competition. Kate Rooney
8: is following the money. Hi, Kate. Hi, Court. Yeah, PayPal has really dominated online checkout since the early internet days, but they're not as dominant with people now shopping more on their phones. The experience is a bit clunkier, and that may be eroding market share. Mizuho cites Apple Pay as the main culprit in PayPal's declining share of checkout. It also cites that autofill feature where your credit card information gets saved on websites and buy now, pay later. Then you've got demographics. Mizuho Surveys show that younger shoppers tend to prefer Apple. Data from Caden backs that up as well and shows Square's cash app is actually by far the most popular with people under 26 Gen Z there. PayPal's Venmo is also lagging behind bank-owned competitor Zelle, where volumes have compounded about 40% over the last three years. And then finally, that pay with Venmo option was recently removed from Amazon's checkout, which was seen as a big growth area. Amazon has its own one-click checkout options. Buys no longer make up the majority of ratings on this stock, a shift from early 2020 when about 90 percent of analysts were bullish on this name. Court, back to you.
2: That is very fascinating. I'm still a holdout on Venmo, but I feel like I need to switch over to Zelle, too. Thank you, Kate. (laughs) Uh, Kara, you sold PayPal two weeks ago. Why? For
5: everything Kate cited, different reasons? Well, we'd been patient, more than patient, since 2021 when the stock peaked and started to fall apart. I mean, it literally went down 85 percent from peak to trough. We'd owned it going up what we sold was not significant compared to what we held on to, and it was part of normalization, we thought. We, we thought, okay, the stock was overpriced, the stock is going to stabilize at a point, and we're going to start to see revenues growing again at a, a strong double-digit rate. That didn't happen. And now you hear about less usage by young people. The most profitable part of the business is the button. Venmo is not profitable. I mean, they have several parts of the company that are growing but are not making money for them, Are certainly not at the rate that the button does. So if you have more competition and they're losing market share, and now we're really seeing a point where they've cut costs, but revenues aren't growing at a rate that they should. Now that we're normalized, now that we're post-COVID, we just decided we weren't going to get from the stock what we want over the next year. to two years and we have other opportunities. I mean, there are opportunities that some other people can take because it's a low price stock on a multiple basis if you believe the multiple. But we, we just found that it wasn't giving us or we thought it could give us what we want. So Josh, why do you continue to hold it? Why
4: is the stock up? Everything, today? everything you said is true and everyone knows it. Why is it up?
5: Why is it up today? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Did you buy a lot?
4: Are you curious when you see a stock catch a downgrade, uh, have a huge gap down, right? Then the following day, bullish engulfing candle, meaning the buyers come in, they take all of that stock, and then the following day, which is today, a gap up higher, and the stock selling at its HOD, even while we're discussing it being downgraded so on TV. Capitulation. Does that at all make you curious? Well, yeah. Capitulation. Let's go
3: to Bill on this. Does
4: that make you curious? When you
3: see that? Well, absolutely, absolutely. From a technical perspective, I mean, you got to, it has to pay attention to it. I mean, it's not this stock is not on my radar. I really don't think there's a whole lot of upside here. But I would pro- I would not be surprised to see it maybe even three to five percent higher next week. But just, just given huh. what we saw from a technical basis, all the sellers who want to sell have sold. The same way like when the market blows off top. I mean, it's it's everybody who's bought is already bought. And so I think we've seen this reversal. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I love the, the big tech because the big tech is going to, are going to keep eating people's lunch and the Apple wallet is going to keep eating PayPal's lunch. Uh, Liz.
5: Yes. It could be. You, short own a, covering. you own
4: a stock. It gets an upgrade. It goes up. That's what's supposed to happen. Usually. Stock gets a pretty big downgrade from one of the few analysts who was still positive on it. Uh-huh. And then within two days, it's higher. Is there, is there any message in the activity of buyers and sellers versus the narrative that everybody already understands? I mean, yeah, the stock's in an 80% it drawdown. Me, it
6: would tell me that it hit somebody's trigger on the downside to buy it. There was probably a, a re-either, I'm not going to call it a rebalance, some kind of reallocation that said, you know what, that's now a good opportunity. Hmm. I'm guessing that whoever, if there is a big buyer, maybe they don't expect it to reach previous highs, but they expect it to have some upside from here. It was just a little oversold, maybe now underloved for what they think it is. And
5: maybe worth. if it's up 10%, would you sell it? I'm just curious. I mean, what's Maybe. your time I just, frame or so, price target?
4: So I, just, that wouldn't matter to me. so I just bought it. I haven't been sitting in it all this time. So it's a different mentality. From my perspective, I think 56 is a pretty good risk management area. 56 was support after this recent downgrade. There were no sellers left when it got to that level. It lifted like trying to hold a beach ball oh, under, we under the ocean. sell it at
5: 56, but yeah, I'm I not understand you what did, you're but saying. Yeah.
4: There, no more sellers showed up. So that doesn't mean it's over. Or now, what I would tell you is it's been a downtrend for three years. Very rare. You almost never can find a NASDAQ 100 stock that remains in a downtrend for three years. Second thing I would tell you, yes, competitive pressure, but still wildly profitable, which means a lot of optionality if they want to go in a different direction. New CEO, not burdened with the decisions that have been made in the past. Brand new guy coming in, no sacred cows. He could fire anyone. He can get rid of anything that's been done previously. Carte Blanche, That's all I'm saying. I think the setup here is probably better than what the consensus is on how much pressure the company's under. Mm -hmm. They've already lost 300 billion in market cap. Everybody knows that Apple is kicking their ass in the shopping cart. There's not one person on Earth that's going to wake up and be like, wait, what? Apple Pay? (laughs) That's all all I want to say. Although I I used
2: Apple Pay for the first time like three months ago. Embarrassing. (laughs) Totally (laughs) embarrassing. Coming up, more contrarian ideas for 2024. Liz and Bill are ready with theirs. The debate is next on Halftime. Welcome back to Halftime. We are continuing our series on identifying the committee's top contrarian ideas for 2024. So, Liz, you get to go first. What do you
6: have? Uh, I have a ETF, DBB. This is a base metals ETF. The contrarian idea being everybody thinks inflation is coming down in a linear fashion. What if it goes back up? What if we see a resurgence because the Fed cuts too soon? And... Add on to that, what if housing doesn't collapse like people are expecting it to and come out of inflation? As mortgage rates fall, I think you see more demand for housing, which drives things like copper prices. So this ETF and just metals in general, aside from gold, has done pretty poorly this year, was pretty poor at the end of last year. So watch it for maybe a little pop higher. But to be clear, this is a satellite allocation in a portfolio. This should not be your entire alternatives allocation. Keep it tiny. Good qualifier from DBB. What do you got, Bill?
3: I got SPPP. And I promise this was <laughs> not
1: me. this was not planned we at didn't all. Talk, no, we didn't
3: talk before. platinum and palladium, and to the, your point, they, they were bludgeoning last year. This thing was down 25 percent last year. Uh, I'm looking at a resurgence in, in China. I think that as well. If you look at the China exports of autos, they're going to dethrone Japan. That's what the call is here. Uh, if China picks up, we're going to see platinum and palladium. I mean, they're using Cadillac converters. I think it just really crushed. Now, I do run a metals fund, and uh, and I, I trade the commodity in there, platinum and Palladium, uh, you know, they've just started the year off very, very poorly. So you're looking at it here as, as really, I think, a good entry. Now, if you're going to get into commodities, you have to understand the volatility of yep. commodities, mm-hmm. so yep. even if it's an ETF of commodities. So make sure you know what you're doing if you're buying this, and there's going to be a lot of volatility behind it. But it is something that's bludgeoned, and I think there's a good reason for turnaround. I mean, even just like infrastructure in the U.S., to start the spending that's just going to be, keep going around, and I think China's going to be the, the cornerstone here.
2: Okay, so DBB and SPPP from Bill and Liz. <laughs> to. (laughs) ideas for 2024. Well, coming up, the committee's got more portfolio ideas for the year. But first, Mike Santoli will join us with his midday word halftime report back right after this. We are back on halftime. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. You still got the Nasdaq leading and the S&P positive. But it does seem like we've lost a little bit of wind from the sales of the market here today. Is, is it Treasury yields, Mike?
9: Yeah, Court. Some days, uh, pretty much moment to moment, the market tells you what it's paying attention to. So the highs uh, for the morning in the S and P 500 were made just as the 10-year Treasury yield started that run up to 4.15. It's just like a you know four or five week high. It's not at particularly stressful levels, but it does, I guess, encapsulate one of the anxieties of the market right now, which is you've had some a good run of economic data. Retail sales really low jobless claims today. And the question is, can we take heart that that's the trend of the economy, in which case we can be fine with somewhat higher yields or the Fed starting rate cuts a little bit later? Or is that sort of just a little bit of an elusive head fake and we actually have a slowing economy and the Fed's going to be late? So it's all happening in the context of a very, very normal routine pullback after a sprint uh, to two year highs at the end of last year. But uh, getting a little bit of anxiety in there as as below the surface, you're seeing some deeper pullbacks.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Mike, for joining us and keeping us on track. Coming up next, trade school. It's in session. The committee debates some of the most unloved stocks and which ones could be good bets for the year ahead. Halftime is right back.
4: No conversation.
2: We're back on halftime, time for trade school. Josh, you're breaking down some of the most unloved stocks in the NASDAQ 100. This is where you get to explain, teach us what you're thinking.
4: So the general idea is in, in any huge market rally, there are always gonna be companies that have been left behind. A lot of people are saying to themselves like, all right, the NASDAQ's up 50% last year, what do I do? How do I buy a stock that just went up 100%? It's really hard to do. And sometimes it's worth uh, doing that, but not always on 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 the flip side sometimes it's worth looking at some of the stocks that have not participated and when you do that you have to recognize two things and the first is these are severely impaired uh, strategies. Whatever these companies were trying to accomplish, it wasn't working. The question is, is there something that they can change or things they can change in most cases that might all of a sudden resonate with investors? So we looked at the worst performers in the NASDAQ 100, and we were looking for names where uh, they were either in technology, consumer discretionary, or healthcare. They were sort of in growthy areas. And which ones are maybe worth a second look? So I picked out a few. I think Illumina is really interesting. It's, it's healthcare technology, diagnostic equipment. There was an activist fight with Carl Icahn. It's just been a total basket case. But I think it's worth a look because healthcare has been lagging if healthcare turns up, this is the type of stock that could get rediscovered. Um, I took a look at Siri, that's the one that's down the most out of the NASDAQ 100, it's down 92%. And of course, the whole thing is reliant on people continuing to pay subscriptions. It's been a really challenged business. The only thing they have that's special is Howard Stern. Howard Stern is probably on not just the back nine, but maybe the back two of of his radio (laughs) career and uh you know it's it's uh, but again what could change at, at a company like Sirius? so i just think it's the type of thing where if you see the market up huge just recognize there are companies that have been left behind you probably don't want to own all of them but probably there are a few names in there where something is not being appreciated by the market and you maybe uncover a gem So that's the idea behind the hateful eight.
2: Very interesting. And PayPal, though, also on your hateful eight.
4: I mean, it's one of the worst stocks in the history of mankind,
2: as we all know. (laughs) So how could it not be there? And we had a very interesting conversation about that earlier. Well, stick with us because final trades are coming up on Halftime.
1: Tomorrow, Scott Wapner, live from the American Express. Exclusive interviews with the CEOs of American Express, Delta, and more. Coverage throughout the day. Tomorrow, only on CNBC.
2: We're back on halftime. It's already time for the final trades. This hour flew by. Liz, you get to go first.
6: Healthcare this time, at least until election season kicks into high gear and polling starts to drive volatility. But you get some growth. It's not as interest rate sensitive. And they were a laggard last year.
2: Very interesting. After today's uh, news that we hear from Humana and United last week, Josh, what's your final trade?
4: I think Pfizer bottomed in the middle of December on a huge volume. A lot of it tax law selling and window dressing. It's about to retest that level here. I think it'll hold. I'm in the stock. Relatively recent purchase.
5: And Carrie? Uh, I'll go fast. Autodesk, it's a software company for construction and industrials and should start to have a good year. And Bill, take us home.
3: Abv, stay diversified. It's broken out. I think we could be running at the uh, 2021, 2022 high, 176.
2: Got it. That does it for halftime.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast.
3: You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.